Okay guys, Josh J.C. Alfelto here from the Writer's Lens, and picking up right where I left off in our last episode for my dialogue with Brian Del Turco, Willie Scott, and Brent McLaughlin, this is going to be part two of our ongoing dialogue about the rise of digital voices. And as I said at the end of the last episode, this is going to be part two, where we will now be transitioning into a conversation detailing how to compete and rather what that looks like to be competing in the space of all the digital voices and narratives that are all around us uh, out there in social media land. So hope you enjoy this edition and part two of the Pens of Steel discussion. So uh, without further ado, here we go again. How does that work now and today? Because I think one of the other things and um, again, this is for anybody, I guess, to, to comment on. One of the things I get overwhelmed with as far as the amount of voices are sort of the trendy topics that just seem to overwhelm everything else. I mean, is that a concern? I mean, for instance, I mean, when the uh, not that we have to have a long debate on this or anything, but it seemed like when the 2016 election was going on, politics was the number one thing people wanted to talk about out in social media like number one like that just totally over overlaid everything else and then there were new things that started that people were talking about i mean just all kinds of maybe social movements were becoming very popular in social media how then as far as if you are in the mind of a person that says look i can build a i can build something here i have a unique message and it's not about all the other stuff that's happening right like all the things that could be newsworthy perhaps that people are just like they're picking and you know chewing up every single day how do we kind of cut through that you know is there you know i don't know if there's a silver silver bullet necessarily but it does seem as though that there are still pockets of spaces where people are still going okay i want to get away from that that all that stuff that just seems to just fill my my feed up constantly and yeah. I want to get to maybe something that's more niche, you know, like yeah. uh, listening to a podcast, uh, you know, like or, you know, getting marriage counseling, you know, from like a better than blended or perhaps, you know, getting some deep, insightful thought from someone like Brent, you know, just <laughs> getting something like that. What is there a hesitance you think that people might have? I mean, I, I think I've been overwhelmed by this thought once in a while, you know, feeling like I have to compete with very culturally trendy topics. I don't know if you guys have even experienced this before, but I do kind of feel that sometimes, kind of that pressure yeah. to compete with it. Yeah. I <clears throat> excuse me. I definitely say, I would say yes to that. I mean, because I, I believe that's natural, hmm. that we natural, especially as men, we're naturally competitive, but it's natural for for any of us in, um, hmm. in the realm of what we do to say, ah, oh, man, you look at you look at someone else or you look at something or a business or a person or individual and you're like, man, and then you look at kind of where you're at and you're like, you're doing we probably we doing we, you think in our minds, we think we're doing the same thing. Like, why is they here? Why are we here? Mm -hmm. But we don't realize that in the process of that, we see we see the, the front row or we see what we see on, on social media or what we think we know, but we don't know the background story of what they actually have been through how long how many hours have they been up how consistent have they been going back to what brian said or how much have they poured into it and how many no's have they heard how many doors have been slammed how many phones been hung up in their face how many times have they been told to get a, go go like no i don't want to hear that and but they've been consistent with it um and so they 
have been consistent to the point where they've built content. They've built they've they've built content. They've left a trail. So as you go to Google and you look up look them up. Yeah, nobody was listening listening to them or reading their blogs or there was crickets uh, two, three, four, five years ago. But because of because they were consistent with it, they've left a trail of of you know digital footprint as as you guys said. They left a digital pr- footprint. So now that now when people are coming looking for, they're like, oh, did you know about this? And then somebody shares with somebody, and somebody shares with somebody else, and then you got a blog that was from two thousand and five that nobody ever ever listened to, and in two thousand eighteen, is it has a whole bunch of views, whole bunch of comments, and. You know that it's from 2005. Nobody else knows it's 2005. It's new to them. They just found it. And so it really goes back to, I believe, being consistent, being authentic, and moving forward and um, what you're supposed to be moving forward in. And knowing that that it's just not your season yet. If you're everybody, there's a season for everyone. And so when that season comes, you just have to be ready. If, you, if you're not consistent in the, the off-season, as athletes do, they kind of work out. I know you were an athlete, uh, Josh. Me, not so much, but <laughs> but I do know if you're not consistent in the off season, when the season comes, you won't be ready. So you got to make sure you're consistent in the off season. That's right. And I just, hey man, I just I, sit. I played dodgeball here and pick Brent's brain. Dodgeball. I'm sorry. <laughs> you played dodgeball. Dodgeball and gym, yeah. Yeah, I played. I played. Uh, what is it? Catch catch football outside on the gravel at school. Yeah. <laughs> Two hand touch. I hope. Right. <laughs> not not tech. I no, speaking I of sports right on that note, like we... I I was I was duped playing Brent in racquetball once, and he was like, <laughs> he, he was he was like, yeah, man, you know, I played a couple times, you know, at college, and I was like, oh, we're really great. There's a racquetball uh, court. At my apartment complex, let's just play. I went out and bought a racket and balls, <laughs> and I was like, "I'm just gonna play with this guy." And it's yeah, it's gonna be a nice leisurely. You know, I'm thinking, you know, Brent is a little bit smaller than I am. I mean, he's got to hit it off the wall. It's not gonna be that bad. And Brent just gets in there, and he's like, "All right, dude, I guess I'll just serve it." Do do. You know, (laughs) and I'm going, I should have practiced before I came out here, you jerk. (laughs) That was a good game. That was pretty rusty. (laughs) Yeah. And then he's like, I'm a little rusty. I'm like, no, you're not. You would never believe this. You would never believe this. But I went to Baldwin Wallace College. Nobody would know this, but they have like multiple national championships in uh, Division three. Um, racquetball, and they actually have a really good program. They, they for quite a while, at least when I was there, they recruited some of the best in the state. And so I kind of, I jumped in on racquetball after I, uh, um, I kind of let soccer go. It was kind of my life, my life game or my life sport, um, and I really enjoyed that. So I, I learned from some really good people i was not even close to their caliber but it was a lot of fun well i i I hung up my racket and those balls the day that we played (laughs) i hung hung them up so 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 let me throw an idea out there back to writing and Mm -hmm. ideas i know brian maybe you can hold your thought you had one too but um here's what i think People need to realize that we're transitioning through digitally. Yeah, you may be frustrated. I mean, 
the one thought I forgot to share with you was when I was sitting on that lawn chair next to the pool at Myrtle Beach reading this passage from John Eldridge. The one thought I had in my mind, even though I was reading about how he loved writing, he was somewhat ambivalent to it. He really, he, some days he really engaged with it. Mm. Um, the one thought I had in my mind was that who on earth is going to fish my book out of the water? And that still is a very real thought for me. But I think that's what we need to realize we're going through digitally is that um, it's not going to be and it's not going to be in 10 to 20 years. You, the, the big names that you hear and know and that have the cash to produce these channels are are not going to be at the same level. The the democratization, if you will, of these channels um, is only going to raise the bar. So I think everybody's maybe a little worried that the everything's getting watered down, but that's not how it works. Um, the The rise of digital voices will be those who, like you said, are consistent. Um, but I'm going to speak from my Christian perspective, the godly voices that will rise up um, will be seated um, hearing from the living God. So they're really going to be positioned well. And it's kind of like, I kind of look at it, you know, like in reverse, you know, like um, you have to realize the term that's been used is gatekeepers. So for a long time, ABC, NBC, CNN, um, BBC, all these big names, Fox, have been um, the gatekeepers of information. Yeah. So what happens when all that information is now produced by anybody? Yep. Well, for, run, for one, <laughs> they're caught on the run trying to figure out how on earth to get their ideas to be more important than everybody else's. And so we're kind of in an interesting spot. And let me just pose this idea to you. I think we're in the spot, and maybe this is my Christ-following attribute. If you're not a Christ-follower, that's okay. I'm trying to speak from my perspective. But I think it's going to be moving as a unit. Um, that's going to produce um, some real quality things. That's w- one of the reasons I really love engaging with other like thinkers. We've grown so much. But when I truly look at my own media habits, um, I, have, I have grown leaps and bounds over the past few years um, just because I can engage without somebody threatening my thought um, upon somebody preaching a sermon in Australia that happened four years ago, um, you know, where they're seeing the miraculous happen. And I'm learning, um, I, I'm learning intuitively on not only uh, hmm. secrets of the kingdom, but um, just um, just the depth of knowledge that can be placed upon these weird, I mean, almost unknown places. I mean, um, I really believe there's going to be a rise of information that's going to come. And those who can be seated 
confident, comfortable, um, are really going to kind of, kind of take that by force. That's what I believe. Um, I don't know. Maybe you guys have different thoughts on that. I know Brian, you had another thought too, but I'll just pose that for you guys. No, I mean, you, you've spawned a a thought. (laughs) I was running across some stats here on a, on a video I just watched recently on YouTube. I don't know what the global population is now, something like 7.5 billion, maybe it's a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And he was giving a statistic that in 2017, just last year, the global population was, I guess, 7.5 billion, and 40% of that population was connected to the internet. Hmm. That's amazing. Even even 40% of, of the globe's population on the web. Hmm. Now, certainly there are some of those people that are living in, in, in specific countries where they they're really not on the global web as such because they filter out, you know, mm-hmm. like China does some of that, I think, and certainly North Korea, countries like that. But mm-hmm. just look at the big trend line, 7.5 billion, 40% on the web. Now that the experts are saying that in the next five to 10 years from 2017, so we're in that now, that if technology increases just linear, linear mm-hmm. not exponential, but just an increase Linear, linearly is that the word in technology it'll it'll go from 40 to it'll jump to 66 percent wow of of the planet's population will be connected to the web but they're saying that technology will not grow in a linear fashion it, it will be more like exponential mm-hmm. because of like google facebook and space even spacex is somehow getting involved in the web mm-hmm. with providing you know uh so they're saying even higher than 66%. So you're right, Brent. It has the web. You know, you have the silicon, you know, the silicon chip, the the PC, the web. I mean, it has democratized basically the globe in, in terms of this gatekeeper issue mm-hmm. and access to information and access to other voices. And you know, it, it's not crimped in those channels like ABC or BBC or you know. Um, so. We have opportunity and, and responsibility, and everything's accelerating. I, I think it's a great accelerator of not only knowledge and information, but even from like a Christian worldview within the body of Christ, it's accelerating understanding across mm. the body of Christ around the world. I think you really hit that well as far as the responsibility aspect of it, uh, because as we, I think all of us can agree that it can go awry very quickly. You know, just with trying to, it it goes back to that again. Finding your unique message and knowing what it is that you actually can bring to the table that is of substance uh, for people. Because I think so so much of what happens from um, again from a secular mindset. Again, if if you're not a Christian listening to this, uh, you know this is coming from our perspective again from a Christian perspective. But uh, from a more maybe momentary uh, mindset of just information gets out there, we download it, we ingest it, we make sort of quick decisions about it as far as the knowledge or the understanding may be, and then it either can derail us as far as from where where the truth is or it can, you know, nosedive us into the truth in some sense, right? I mean, there's just information that can accelerate that process of coming to a greater depth of understanding and there's and there's information out there that can totally send us off into left field or outer space and go down the rabbit hole i mean i mean i just i 
I dialogue a lot with, uh, you know, I, I got five brothers in my family, uh, no sisters, and all five of us are all these sort of deep thinkers, and um, <laughs> I, I won't mention any names among the group, uh, even though there probably would be a few of us who can go down those rabbit holes of conspiracy theories, and you can find all you're looking for on the internet as far as conspiracies go, and and strange phenomenon, and, and you know, people out there that, you know, it... The, Again, digital voices. People who have a voice, they have a unique message tailored around this idea of, you know, maybe the Nazis are hiding under the Antarctic, right? And they have a whole video series on it where they can talk about this. And they got huge followings for it, too. So it's not just, it's not all just filled with what would be considered maybe positive or even good messaging. No. No. I mean, it, there's, there's so much messaging out there that can really derail people. And yeah. send them down just all kinds of paths of, you know, even potentially hysteria and, yeah. and just paranoia, too. So I think that responsibility piece that you touched on was just really, really something because we don't necessarily think of responsibility. I think when you're when you're when you're working on building your message and you're, you're like, maybe, you know, I got a message. I got something that I, you know, I think other people would, would care about and might benefit yeah. from. And it might be a, you know, a passion of mine or something I want to share with people like Willie, like blended families. Okay. Yeah. And you may have this message, but you may not be thinking like, I'm going to be responsible for this in five years when someone else picks this up and looks at it. Like, are we thinking about those kinds of things? Right. Like what right. would this person think of when they first find my video <laughs> five years from now or six years from now on my yeah. podcast or whatever. So are those the kinds of things not to get overwhelmed in this concept, but this this responsibility aspect of it, I think is really interesting. Yeah. I think that's a point well taken. And I'm, I mean, I think we're responsible like upstream from that. We're, we're like even responsible because of the opportunity, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, the opportunity that we have to enter the phrase, so to speak, to enter the marketplace of, of ideas. Mm -hmm. And because of technology and because of the ease and the lack of the big gatekeepers, if we just sit, you know, and don't lift our voice, mm. you know, we're responsible for that, I feel. Personally, I feel that responsibility. But then once we're in there, your point is well taken, too. Uh, we have to be, we're responsible for what we say and, and the content. And um, mm. that as best we can understand it, that we're, that it's it's true for us and, and that it's an authentic voice. Mm -hmm. um, so how, so you know, just kind of continuing along that lines, like how do we, and we might have talked about this a little bit, but I just was thinking about how do we, how do we ultimately develop an authentic voice? You know, what are some, some ways to actually figure that out? Because my story personally, I thought I was going to be this satirical humorist. You know, I, I still chuckle a bit when I read things from like the Babylon Bee or the onion, you know, I think those are pretty funny websites. <laughs> so I, so I, I will casually go to that line and I go, man, you know, I really wish I could maybe write some for these guys. You know, maybe I should send in a few articles, you know, just be like, hey, what do you think of this? You know, maybe could I could I write for you guys? But then I, I always kind of draw myself back and I think, well, you know what, that's fun and all and that's kind of interesting, but I'm not really like waking up in the morning thinking about it. You know, I'm not really feeling energized by the thought of doing it. It'd be fun to do or something, but as far as building authenticity and a genuine message amidst all the other all the other ones it can be very easy to be, try to become a copycat right i mean is that is that something that is a is a reality i mean i 
Willie, your guys' ministry, I, I can't, I, I mean, I've never really Googled blended family ministry before, but I mean, are you, I mean, are you guys aware of anybody else that has like a platform like that? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's uh, a gentleman by the name of Ron Deal and uh, there's, there's quite, so I would say family life, Ron Deal is um, with family life and family life is, I believe it's a nonprofit or for profit, but they have a blended family section and they are probably, uh, I would say they are probably, Ron Deal is one of the pioneers to that. And it, it is probably somebody else before him. Cause he, I'm not going to say probably there is, cause he told us the story of the gentleman, I can't remember the gentleman's name that the kind of like pioneer before him and handed it off to him, but they've been doing a lot for blended families for a long time. And it's, they still have, I believe in my opinion, <clears throat> there's still struggles even at that level um, where they're at, that they, you know, that they, they will be considered because every, because as we were coming up, as we were actually, pushing for and, and, and reaching out our started off as just being like a blog you know it started off being a blog and then it built into what it is now but as we even as we start to pursue more we would get that question all the time hey have you guys connected with ron deal have you guys heard of ron deal you guys heard of ron deal so we would hear his name often and we did have the opportunity to meet with him and kind of sit down with him talk to him and share our hearts and stuff like that mm-hmm. with it but also i believe in this season <clears throat> that there is i know that there's a lot of little pockets um and i want to use the word little because i don't mean it in a demeaning way but there are a lot of smaller pockets of people that are trying to gain traction and with this blended family thing and they have good intentions and good good hearts at hand and they're just and for whatever reason they may not be getting the traction that that they uh that they desire but as we continue to move forward because there was a point in time where we were like man we're not getting any traction and it's still sometimes where it, things will come up and we'll be like, man, we didn't get any, we're not getting a lot of feedback or responses on that. But because we've been called to that, we still have to pursue it. I think it goes back to that. Cause even when you both were saying responsibility, that's one of the things that fuel that fueled us. And I think back on it is that there's a responsibility for there's somebody out there that's talking about this thing in the wrong way. Hmm. And me as me as a Christian, hmm. yeah, I have a responsibility to talk about it in the right way. And mm-hmm. I know people can say right and wrong is, is subjective to whatever you think, but based on my perspective of what right is, based on my biblical perspective of what right is, I have a responsibility to relay this information for families uh, in a way that is, is, I call it family discipleship, in a way that is discipling families and bringing them into the knowledge of Christ. And, and, it's, not, and, and it's not always done in a, 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 a preachy way there it, it may be done in a very secular uh in a secular realm but mm-hmm. still not in a preach you know not in a preachy way mm-hmm. but we just do it in a way that will will be authentic but it will also be really very relational and will be on the level of those that can understand it so that we can draw them in it's all about drawing people into what you're doing so mm-hmm. um i think it goes i think it just goes back to that back to responsibility and it goes back to um bringing people in and and being consistent because if you just decide to, if you not get traction now and you give up, then the people that you were assigned to, because I believe everybody has an assignment of those that they're going to affect, whose lives they're going to touch. The people yeah. that you were assigned to affect, they, they'll never get to hear it. They'll never pick the book up. They'll never read the blog. They'll never see yeah. any of it if you, if you quit. And then what does that leave them? Now, I'm, I'm of the belief that 
because I'm a Christian, the God is still going to get the message to him one way or another, but he intended to use you. Right. But then, but then you stopped because you didn't see, you didn't see instant fruit. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to think of our voice in that transcendent kind of a way, Willie, you know, that there is a higher purpose to it. And this uh, recent ministry minor mastermind thing I was a part of, this guy, he has 70 or 80,000 people that follow his blog. He's been doing it for years. He's written 20 books, I think 12 traditionally published, eight maybe independent, and of those 12, some bestsellers. But he said, he said, you got to leave the results you got to relinquish the results on this thing in terms of like, what is your readership or what's your following or what's your audience right. size? Yeah. He said, if it was just like 10 or 12 people, I would do it until I die. Hmm. If, if he only had 10 or 12 people listening to him, hmm. he would, he would, he, he said it something like that. I will, I'm, I'm a lifer. I'll do it till I die because he felt that sense of like destiny or calling about it. Right. Right. And responsibility. So there's a sense in which, yes, we have to do what we can do to fill up. I agree with you, Willie. We have a um, we have a sphere that we're called to. And maybe that sphere enlarges over time, but we have this sphere mm-hmm. of reach. And um, uh, we just have to be satisfied and, and faithful to that somehow. Right. I think I, I just want to piggyback off that, too. That was so good, oh. <laughs> Brian, because it reminds me of – I think I told you about this, Josh – of um this organization her name the lady name is Shay Bynes and she has uh, an organization or her company is Kingdom Driven Entrepreneur and the content that she produces is so incredibly valuable that it talks about um it's called grace over grind and so what she ultimately talks about is that everybody has this hustle 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 grind till i die or, or get up or whatever they say as far as grinding meaning if I don't do it, I, it won't happen. I got to put the work in. Now there is a level of there is a level of responsibility that we're called to put in the work and put our hand to the plow, as you would say. But also, we can't get to the place. That's what her her whole message is. We we can't get to the point where we where we're carrying all the weight on our shoulders and we thinking that it's me. This is me. I did this. I built this. I need to do this because once you do that, yeah then you're responsible for it. And then you limit the growth of whatever it is that you're called to do. But once we, once we give, once we follow the leading of, of, of God as what he, whatever he's called us to do and whatever he's called us to speak to in that season and not to worry about the numbers because we're not doing it for the numbers. We're doing it because this is what our responsibility is. This is what he called us to do. And we just move faithfully in that. Then he's going to bring the numbers regardless. Like he's going to bring the numbers that he desired to bring. Whether it's one, whether it's few, whether it's many, whether it's millions, he's going to bring the numbers. And everybody, I, I still believe everybody has an assignment of, of the amount of people they're supposed to touch in a certain season mm-hmm. uh, with, with a particular message and whatever that message may be. And it, and it doesn't always stay the same. It may change. All right. I think that was another good spot to stop uh, for our continuing discussion about the digital voice age. So... This is part two. Uh, part three will be soon coming down the docket and uh, down the pipeline as we approach the end of the year here. So thanks for tuning in. Hope you guys are enjoying this conversation uh, with myself and the rest of this, uh, the group of uh, the pens, the creative pens that have come together here in Cleveland, uh, discussing uh, podcasting, writing, all that good stuff. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Hope you can check out again next week where we'll be wrapping this thing up and 
hopefully bringing in for a landing to talk about digital footprints and how do we engage well with the digital footprints that we're making because I think one of the big fears that people have when it comes to being a writer, being someone in the social media age is how do I create the proper paper trail, if you will, and the proper digital footprint that people can find me, uh, know where I'm coming from, those kinds of things. That'll be part of the next discussion that we'll be having here on the Writer's Lens. So thanks again, guys. I will catch up with you again soon. This is Josh J.C. Alfalto for the Writer's Lens.